You sure you don't want to preach? <laughs> All right, let's, look to, let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning that we have a God who meets all of our needs. And uh, we thank you that he may have just been able to give us testimony of that and to that great truth and that fact. Uh, I do pray for him and we do as a, as a uh, family of your people pray going forward, Lord, that you would provide work for him um, and that you would uh, open the doors as he has expressed. And uh, we do thank you for the resolution of, uh, this, of the past job and just uh, the way you have provided and, and undertaken and worked things. And uh, uh, we do look to you for the future for him and his family. We pray now this morning as we open your word and look into it for each of us you know exactly who we are, what we are, and what we need. And I pray, Father, that um, it would not be my words, but you would speak to our hearts. You would speak to my heart, that we may be changed, that we may be challenged, that we may grow in our walk with the Lord, and that we may come to know him in a whole uh, new and better light, and that we may be faithful in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things. In his name, amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles, please, with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. I was going to end at Daniel chapter 6, and I thought, I was troubled about that, though. Do I end at Daniel chapter 6, or do I continue on? I mean, it's the prophecies, and it's really, really, it's hard. Really hard, actually. Um, and I thought, you know, we don't teach prophecy very much in churches anymore. We don't talk about prophecy much because it tends to be controversial because there are so many opinions and thoughts and so on. Now, I'm not going to, I'll tell you as we go through this, Lord willing, and, and I'm going to take it a, a, a message at a time because. This, this is tough sledding going through this, and I'm gonna, I have to try to make it so that I understand it, first of all, that I can make it so that you can understand it. And that's not, it's not easy for me to understand some of this stuff. Like I said to Nick, I said, just sat down with my Bible, no commentaries, and just go at it. Not really. <laughs> that would never work. Um, but I think it's very, very important. And I'll tell you, I'm going to spend a good part of the message this morning talking about why it is important to look and study prophecy. Um, and then we will see where the Lord takes us on this. Um, let's, uh, let's just once again ask the Lord to just help us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And I pray this morning that you would open it up to us that we may um, um, get a message and a lesson from what is said this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I start off with a bit of a humorous story. But it's an illustration that I'm stealing from someone that I, I, I heard in the past week or so. So there was this man that was convinced that he was dead. And he told all his friends and he told his wife and his co-workers, stop talking to me, I'm dead. And they'd say, okay, Jim, you're not dead. I am dead. I'm convinced that I'm dead. They thought, okay. Somebody's got it. We have to have an intervention. So they get this intervention going, and they 
convinced him to go to a doctor. Like, this guy needs a psychiatrist or something. I mean, he's, he's convinced that he's dead. So they send him to, to a doctor. He agrees, he goes, and the doctor gives him all kinds of medical books to read up on the human body and the anatomy and all of the things that you should know, that, and he still wasn't convinced. So he took him to, uh, to an autopsy. And he said, I want you to observe something here at the autopsy. Took him into a surgery, first of all, and he went in and watched the surgery and all the stuff and the gore and everything else that goes on with the surgery. And he says, ooh, man, that was gross. A lot of, a lot of blood and guts and stuff. And then he said, now come with me, we're going to do an autopsy. And he went to the autopsy and he said, now did you notice anything different? He goes, yeah. He said, uh, no blood. He says, yeah, that's right. Dead men don't bleed. He goes, never thought of that. All right. Come back and see me on Wednesday. So the guy goes back to the office and on Wednesday he goes in and the, uh, the doctor says, listen, I have a little procedure I have to do. Just put your hand out. And he put his hand out and just in a little spot in the back of his hand, he, he just took a, a, a tiny little cut with a scalpel and whoa, blood comes out. And he said, there, Jim, what do you think? And he said, wow, I was so mistaken all this time. Dead men do bleed. <laughs> So using the Borodeau illustration this morning, we're going to poke the Bible and watch it bleed truth. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to look at the Bible, we're going to poke it, and, and, and it should bleed truth for us. The second part of the book of Daniel, it's a very special part of the book. Um, Daniel, uh, the first part of Daniel primarily is... Uh, good is about the person of Daniel. And it starts with these young men who come, uh, they're captured by Babylon, uh, they're brought into the Babylonian kingdom and they're offered all kinds of delicacies from the king's table because these guys are going to be the new hotshots. And they say, mm, no, I'm not going to defile myself with that stuff. All the way through to Daniel at an 85-year-old man being thrown into a den of lions and surviving a lion's den. Now, that's a long period of time from probably about 14, 15 years old till about 85 years old, but 70 years, actually. So 70 years is captured in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. And then in chapter 7, it completely changes. And you'll notice when we read, we're reading it today, it's not like a narrative that's just telling a story as it does in the first part. The first part is a lot of history with a bit of prophecy. The last part is a lot of prophecy with a little bit of history. So you'll find the first part being Daniel the person and the last part of the, the last uh, um, six books, uh, last six chapters, uh, deal with Daniel the prophet. So why do we study this? Why do we put ourselves through what I felt like I put myself through this week, studying prophecy in the book of Daniel? Why do we do that? Well, we do this because we want to grow in our faith. We want to grow deeper in our faith. We want to be smarter. We want to be well-read in the Scriptures. We want to get into the Scriptures deeply. We're challenged to do that in the Scriptures. And, and there's another reason. I mean, it's good to understand prophecy. I mean, if you're picking up the newspaper, well, who picks up the newspaper? If you're clicking on your, on your Google News site or Yahoo News, whatever you use, and you're looking and you're reading this and you're, and you're going to scratch your head and say, why? Why is this happening? Why? 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 Well, without the knowledge of what the scriptures say and the prophecy and future events that are coming, 
In fact, I read this morning, I couldn't believe it, opened my Bible up and I'm looking in Isaiah and I'm thinking, wow, this, is, this exactly, exactly answers to, to some of the things that are going on right now in Bolivia where they've outlined preaching of the gospel on the streets. Where you're not allowed to go and invite a friend to come to church with you. This is a new law in Bolivia. And the book of Isaiah says, woe to those who write such laws. It says right there, first verse that I read this morning, woe to those who, who write such laws. Because I, I was very perplexed about this. And God will make that right. So it's very important that we understand prophecy because prophecy is very important. Most of the Bible is prophetic. And the other thing is, and this is a verse that I learned very, very early in my, my Christian life because uh, it was, it's embarrassing to tell it, but in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and I took the NIV because it's a, it's a, I like the rendering of it, it says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, I didn't know that verse, and I definitely did not know the last part of it, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I remember as a new Christian, I'm going out and I'm going to just blow everybody away with my Holy Ghost machine gun. You've got to be saved. And it was like, you know, crazy. And I remember one day at a, at a very low point, I, I, I'm a new Christian and I'm, I'm arguing with a friend and we're back and forth and we're in a store and, I, and I'm trying to preach at her. And she says, well, you know what? At the, my bottom line, you don't seem very Christian to me. And walked away and I thought, oh, man, a huge knife right in there. And then somebody shared this verse not too long after that, not because they knew the story, but it's just the Holy Spirit working and I hear this verse and I read Gentleness and respect, gentleness and respect, gentleness and respect. You know, if Warren and John and Sam and Nick and everybody else, Kirk, who goes downtown, they just get in everybody's face. You're a sinner. You're a rotten, no good drunk. User, drunk. You know, look at you. Look at the way you dress. If you did that, guess how many are coming to Christ? None. Absolutely none. But you're told here to be prepared to give an answer. So when you walk up to somebody and say, yeah, the Bible, what an old book that is. I mean, you really believe that? Yeah, I do. Why? You know what? If you understand prophecy, that's one of the steps that will help you to, to, to be able to share the validity of the Bible, the truth of the scriptures. So that's why we're going to study prophecy. We want to know what we believe and why we believe it. And not only to know what we believe, I just said this, but why we believe it. It's great when you cut and paste twice in your notes. <clears throat> Let's read the text. Now, this is why you bring your Bible, because you're not reading that eye chart, but it's there so you can see it if, if, if you don't have your Bible with you. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. And... In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. And he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in, the vision, in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. And I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. 
Verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. Thus they said to it, Arise and devour much meat. And after this I kept looking, and behold, another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads, and a dominion, uh, was, and dominion was given to it. And after this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth, and it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little horn, came up among, uh, among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by its root before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth, uttering great boasts. And I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his vesture was, was like white snow, and his hair, and the hair of his head like pure wool, and his throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. And a river of fire was flowing, and coming out from before him, thousands and thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened." Then I kept looking because the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, and I kept looking until the, the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for a appointed period of time. And I looked in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, of men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The first thing that we see, we'll probably only get to verse uh, 7 this morning. The first thing that we see is that Daniel documented the future. The rest of the book of Daniel is really keyed from chapter 7. So most of what you read in chapter 7 is expanded through 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Daniel, it's quite simple. Daniel saw things, it says in the first verse, and he wrote them down, saw things in a vision, and then later we'll read that those things happen. Geography, names, dates, and exact points in history are given. He names Nebuchadnezzar. He talks about the point of time in, or Belshazzar rather, the king of uh, Babylon. He spe speaks of the time in Babylon. So he, it's obviously in that 70-year time of captivity. Um, he, he speaks of the great sea. He speaks of, of geographical places. So we know this happened in, in specific points in history and, and where it was. But there's a problem. So many things are predicted in the book of Daniel in the next few chapters, and they have come to pass exactly as they have been predicted that there's a lot of skeptics out there that say, come on, that wasn't predicted. Daniel was written by somebody who came after all of these things happened, and it's recorded history. Daniel's not a prophet. Daniel's a character that lived back in a time 
but somebody else wrote this book, and it's a recorded book of history. It is not a book of prophecy. Hmm, can that be true? There's a problem when people think that way, when people look at it with suspicion. You see, in chapter 11 of Daniel, there's 135 predictions that have been made, and all of them have come true. 135 predictions have all come true. Now, you could come to me and say, make a prediction about who's going to be a future president of the United States. And if I say Kennedy, Clinton, or Bush, I'm probably right at some point, right? But it might take a little while, but there's probably one of those guys are going to come back and run the world. But here's, here's the way it works. 135 predictions to come true. To say 135 things and have all of them come exactly true as predicted is a remarkable thing. That's not human. That's supernatural. That's God running the machine. That is God running this whole thing from behind the scenes. A professor named A. Cressy Morrison, um, he gave a great illustration, New York Academy of Sciences. He said, suppose I had in my pocket 10 pennies and I marked them one through 10. And then with both my hands out of my pocket, I make a prediction to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to awe you right now. I'm going to reach into my pocket and pull out penny mark number one. What are the chances of that? One in 10. Mark, you're a mathematician. He beat you, Wesley, on that one. We're going to get into more advanced stuff in a minute. So if he said, okay, after he pulled out the number one, he said, now I'm going to put my hand in my pocket and pull out penny number two. You know what the chances of that are? One in 100, roughly, right? So if he said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to put my hand in my pocket and pull out just penny number two. I'm going to pull out in order two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. The chances of that happening are over one in a hundred billion. Over one in a hundred billion. And that's just ten. So 135 prophecies fulfilled exactly. I can't even tell you how astronomical that number is. You may can. But he's an engineer, right? You deal with that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean it's, it's astronomical to think that 135 predictions can be made and be fulfilled exactly as they were said. And so, because of that, the skeptics look and they say, ah, something's wrong here. Uh, you know, this, this, is, this can't be real. This must have been written after the fact. I mean, look at, here's, here's on the... Right-hand side here are all the skeptics. And it started with this guy in the middle in black and white because they didn't have color photography back there. Um, his name was uh, Porphyry. Now he wrote um, a 15 volume, or 15 books, 15 volume set called Against the Christians. Now imagine that's your life work. I'm gonna write 15 volumes called Against the Christians. I mean, he's known for other stuff, but he, like the, the biggest skeptic ever was this guy the biggest critic of the, of the Bible ever. And he wrote these books, and the, the first thing he did was, was try to discredit Daniel and said it was an anonymous Jew who wrote this around 165 BCs, at, by BC, after all of these things happened. The books of forgery. Now, why is that a big deal? What's the problem with that? You see, if Daniel is not a prophet, and if the book of Daniel is a forgery, then guess who's in big trouble? Jesus Christ. Because here's what Jesus Christ said. 
Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the forger, standing in the whole... No, he didn't say that, did he? He said Daniel the prophet. Jesus Christ. I put them in red because it's red in my Bible. Jesus said these words. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Jesus Christ knew Daniel as Daniel the prophet. Therefore, what do I conclude? Daniel is a? Absolutely. So what do I conclude? Daniel is a what? Okay, it's the same five people are understanding. <laughs> so Jesus Christ said, Daniel, the prophet, spoke these things. And I follow Jesus Christ. And I believe every word he said to be true. So therefore, I believe Daniel is? Awesome. <laughs> I told you you will learn something. <laughs> You'll learn that I'm an idiot. <clears throat> so if you, if you destroy the credibility of Daniel, you destroy the credibility of the whole New Testament. Then Jesus is a forger. Jesus is a fraud. If Daniel's a fraud. Another quote, another person who we know, Sir Isaac Newton. What did Isaac Newton invent? What was I? Yeah. What did you say? Okay, Gabriel thinks Isaac Newton invented gravity. I'm going to tell you, you're going to learn something else. God invented gravity. <laughs> Isaac Newton, deserved, uh, he observed it and wrote about it. <laughs> so, no, no, I, I, just, I was hoping somebody would say that. So Isaac Newton, who observed gravity, he's well known for that, and, and, you know, and then invented calculus. And so on. Here's what he says. He was actually, Isaac Newton was known more for Christian apologetics. Did you know that? More for Christian apologetics than he was for his, his uh, science. He said, whoever rejects the prophecies of Daniel does not, or does as much as if he undermines the whole Christian religion. Isaac Newton, that brilliant science mind, put his faith in the validity of the scriptures, including the book of Daniel. So Daniel is, is docu he documented the, f documented the future. Next, we read in the first part of the book of, Daniels, of Daniel, that he says, in the first year of King Belshazzar, Daniel had a dream, I saw in my, my night vision, the four winds of heaven which would mean the north, the south, the east, and the west. And he speaks of, of the, the winds blowing across the great sea, which would be probably the Mediterranean. That's the people of the sea were Mediterranean people. So there are four things, really, that four facts that defend the book of Daniel. The first one is archaeology. Now, Belshazzar was one of the things that people used to throw up there as Hmm, Bible can't be true. There's nobody in history. There's no proof of anybody ever living named Belshazzar in Babylon. Well, those little kind of scrolls and, and writings that were found were found in southern Iraq in 1854. 1854 is not that long ago when you're speaking of biblical history and then now. It's, 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 it's just a short time ago. But these cylinders were found and the name Belshazzar 
appears on these as King Nabonius asks for prayer for his son, the one who's going to be the heir, and his name is Belshazzar. So in 1854, they all of a sudden come across writings from the time of Babylon with the name Belshazzar in it, the king requesting for the health of his son. The name Belshazzar now all of a sudden, and it disappeared from early history because of a, a writer who was, he did not want to put the name Belshazzar in, which is, that's, that's an interesting thing. I won't get into that. So Daniel wrote about Belshazzar when most of the historians did, never have written about it, but it's valid because of things that have been found in archaeology. Now, looking for a word that kind of rhymes with archaeology, paleography. Facts from paleography, ancient documents. Have you ever heard of the Septuagint version of the Bible? Right. The Septuagint version of the Bible is the Greek Old Testament. The Old Testament translated into Greek. In fact, when you read of the Ethiopian eunuch, he was riding along in the chariot, and when you read about what he is reading, the quote of, from Isaiah chapter 53, he had to be read, reading from the Septuagint because the way it is written, lamb to the slaughter, sheep before its shearers, is reversed. That was one of those Bible studies where I learned something from Hilton. And he said, when you go and you look at that, it's, it's from the Septuagint. So, so here is this, and it makes sense, a man from Ethiopia, he's not speaking Hebrew, he's driving along and he's reading the Bible. What's he reading? The common language of the people, Greek. And so he's reading the Septuagint Bible. Guess what book is in the Septuagint Bible? Daniel. Daniel is there. The oldest documents from the, from, from the Septuagint Bible, and then the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in Israel, fragments of the book of Daniel in Hebrew and Aramaic were found there. Interesting thing about the Aramaic, it was written from the 6th century BC, the kind of Aramaic that Daniel spoke, not the more modern Aramaic that would have been written had this been a forgery. So again, all the ancient documents point to the validity of the book of Daniel. Then there's the facts of history. When you look through the four mighty nations that Daniel predicted that were going to happen, happened exactly as he said. The Babylonian kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. So the evidence is now not against the book of Daniel. The evidence is now against the critic. And they have nothing to stand on when it comes to that. And then finally, there's the prophecies. What the Bible says will happen does happen. Why? Because there's an all-knowing, all-powerful God behind it all. The Bible is a supernatural book. The Bible reveals the mind of God. God speaks to men through inspiration, and they write. Men and women have written parts of the scriptures through inspiration from God. They're his very words. God told Abraham in advance that his descendants would be in a foreign land for 400 years, and that's exactly what happened. They went to Egypt for 400 years. You can read that in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. God told the prophets about Babylon, about the captivity, that they would be there before Babylon even ever existed, that the captivity would happen and they, they would be there for 70 years. God told Isaiah, the prophet, that Babylon would be overthrown by King Cyrus. You know that that was written 200 years before Cyrus was born? He was actually named in the book of Isaiah. Cyrus will overthrow Babylon. Written by Isaiah, 200 years before Cyrus was even born. 
So could you imagine if I say, okay, 200 years from today, there will be an inauguration in the United States and this is the person who's going to be the president. You say that's pretty remarkable? No, it would be really remarkable if you were here to prove me wrong. But, <laughs> but that would be insanely remarkable. But Isaiah did that. He, he, he wrote down Cyrus would be king before Cyrus was even a thought. God says in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, I am God and there was no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are not yet done. Only God can do these things. Only God can give this inspiration. Only God can be the author of the scriptures. And that's what we see in Daniel chapter 7 to Daniel chapter 12. Moving along here. Daniel describes the prophecy, and this is now we'll get into the text a little bit, but I won't take very long to go through here. The first thing is there are four kingdoms that are coming. There are four beasts. It's probably not all that clear on this one, on this slide, but, but there are four beasts that Daniel saw. It corresponds to a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Remember Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this large statue that had four different parts. It had a head of gold, a chest of silver, a belly and thigh of bronze, legs of iron, and feet that were mixed of iron and clay. Nebuchadnezzar saw this beautiful, huge statue. Daniel saw four wild beasts. Nebuchadnezzar, why do you think that is? I think what it is is Nebuchadnezzar and we're so taken up with gold and silver and, and bronze and all of the beautiful things of this earth, he saw it from man's point of view. Kingdom, power, beauty, glory. God saw it as what you are. Men are ravenous beasts. Men seek to devour each other. Men seek to, 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 to bloodshed. Kingdoms against kingdoms, trying to devour one another. God sees our world from a heavenly perspective. He's not impressed with our outward appearance. He's not impressed with our gold, our silver, our bronze, or even our iron. God looks at us as what we are, created beings who have sinned against him, who have rebelled against him, and through that, all of the bloodshed and all of those things that have happened. So the first beast that he sees is a lion. And the lion, it says in, in verse uh, 4, if you have your Bibles there, it says, the first was like a lion and had wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and a human mind was given to it. It's a symbol of Babylon. You know, that, that picture that's there is, is symbolic. Uh, that, that's what they've got on their gates. The archaeologists have uncovered all through ancient Babylon gates and walls with this symbol of a winged lion. Uh, this isn't just a perchance thing, but this is, this, is, this is the way it is. This represents the, 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 the Babylonians. Now the wings that are plucked, it indicates a loss of power, humbled. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember? He stood on top of the walls and said, didn't I build this great Babylon? Look at what I've done, look at the work of my hands. And it says that very hour, he lost his mind, and he went out and he was eating grass for seven years like an animal in the field. He was humbled, he was brought down. The second creature that came later looked like a bear. And behold, another beast, the second one, resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, arise, devour much meat. 
The, the, the bear is a symbol of the Medo-Persian Empire that came right after the Babylonian Empire. Remember Belshazzar having the big feasts and the writing, the fingers of a man's hand came and wrote on the wall and Daniel came in and he says, yeah, I'll tell you what that means. You've been weighed in the balances and found, walt, found wanting and so on and he said, as well, this night, your kingdom will be going to the, to the Medes and the Persians. It'll be divided. And that very night, it says that King Belshazzar was slain and the Medes and the Persians had taken over the Babylonian kingdom. The bear is slower than a lion, but it has brute force. It's hard to stop a bear. I remember I worked in the Arctic for a summer when I was a student. And... Uh, you know the thing that terrified me the most? My boss. But other than that, <laughs> it was bears. And once in a while we'd see a grizzly bear. And then we heard the story of this guy named Wayne from St. John, New Brunswick, whoever he is. He was there at the time. But he talked about the time he was out at the camp in the middle of somewhere and a bear started coming across and he was watching it as it's coming towards the camp and he thought, okay, I better get the shotgun ready. He gets the shotgun ready, he shoots, boom, right in the face of the bear. The bear keeps coming and he shoots again and boom, the bear keeps coming. And then finally the bear gets up and he shot one more time at the thing with a shotgun and it stopped the bear. He says, really hard to stop a bear. So we had guns with slugs in them instead of just shotguns with spray shells. So a bear is a real hard thing to stop. And that's the way the Medes and the Persians were. In fact, King Xerxes of Persia assembled 2.5 million troops to move slowly through and take over the known world at the time. It's a lopsided bear. The Persians were actually more powerful than the Medes, so it's a bit lopsided. It's interesting, all, all the imagery that, that's found in these things. The next beast is, is uh, a leopard. Now, we know leopards are really fast. And it says, I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had uh, four had on its back four wings like a bird, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. This speaks of the Greeks, of the Gre uh, kingdom of Greece, Alexander the Great. You know what's amazing about Alexander the Great? is speed. The speed at which he took over the world, 10 years. He took over the known world in 10 years. You know what's also amazing? Is the speed, the speed at which that whole kingdom fell. He died at 31 years old. And on his deathbed, he said, where will this kingdom go? To whom will we give the kingdom? And guess where it went? To four of his generals. Hmm, four heads. Isn't that interesting? It was divided up and given to four heads before it fell. The last one, and nobody knows what this beast looks like, so I just got this hideous looking beast from the internet, is the, is the, the Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire. Iron rule of Rome. Rome was ruthless. They were known as the people of iron. It corresponds to the iron legs. Remember the iron legs in that statue which speaks of the Roman Empire? Well, the legs are the longest part of that whole image, the whole body. The Roman Empire lasted for 1,500 years. It was ruthless. And it corresponds as well to John, or John's writing in Revelation chapter 13 where he says he saw a beast coming up out of the sea. The Roman Empire was, was, was the, the final empire that Daniel saw in the four beasts. All right. You might be saying to yourself, okay, what's the point? I'm, I'm now closing here. 
What's the point in all of this? You're telling me all of this great history. You're telling me all of this great prophecy. Well, here's the point. First of all, prophecy. It's important. It's how God authenticates himself. It's always true. It's always sure. When God says something, it's not like, ah, yeah, he was a bit wrong on that. No, when God says something, it's always 100% guaranteed true. And when he says it, you can go to the bank 100% of the time on it, and the check will always clear. It's true. Prophecy also authenticates the Bible. People say the Bible's full of holes, it's full of inaccuracies, there's all kinds of contradictions, and so on and so on. And then when you go back to the Warren, when you see that on the street, and somebody says, can you tell me one? Well, no, but it's just full of them. Yeah, well, I mean, I can give you lots of verses that, that tell you about what you are, but can you give me one verse that is a contradiction of something else in the Bible? Well, no, but it's there. It's not. The Bible, again, always true, always accurate. The scriptures also show us what we're really like. It's like a microscope, really, because it, it gets down even deeper than a mirror. The more you read the scriptures, the more you uncover what you're really like. There was a man, I'm going to close with this little kind of stupid story, but there was this man that, that was very enamored with the microscope. He just saw one and he said, you know, I really, really have to have one of these. So he saved up his money and he bought a microscope and he brought it home to the family. And, he, he, you know, the first thing he did was the family wasn't around. He started looking at flowers and all this neat little stuff and he starts looking in the microscope and says, this is the coolest thing. I mean, my kids are just going to be so on fire about creation when they start looking at this. And so he said at supper time, he says, hey, got a treat tonight, kids. We got a microscope. We're going to have a look at some stuff through the microscope. The kids say, hey, Dad, that's really cool. Why don't we look at our supper? Uh, okay. So they take a little bit of supper. They put it on the, on the little slide, and they put it under, and he looks at it and says, whoa, whoa, there's stuff moving on my supper. <laughs> so he did what he should do. He threw away the microscope. <laughs> That's a, again, I started with a stupid story, I ended with a stupid story, but here's the point of the stupid story. We open up the Bible, and it shows me what I am. Uh, I'm not as clean and nice and tidy and good as I really think I am. I haven't really done to my neighbor what I really should be doing. I haven't been as faithful to the Lord as I think I should be doing. So what do I do? Do I throw away the Bible? Do I throw away that microscope that, that looks in my life? No. It reveals what's there. And you go to the Lord to change those things, to get those things taken away, to clean your life up. He can do that. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, like, okay, you know what, again, the Bible's okay for you. I just don't believe it. I don't think I'm really that bad. And all you guys that stand up in front of me up at Northbrook are always telling me I'm a sinner. And you're always telling me what's wrong with me. Well, actually, we're telling you what's wrong with us just so you know, for the record. Nobody's standing up here ever telling you what's wrong with you. We're telling you what's wrong with us, all of us, including the person who's up here. But we're not just pulling verses out. And if you just say, I'm going to just ignore that Bible, and I'm just going to take my chances with God, you know what, that's a really, really bad plan. That really is a bad plan. That is going to end up landing you in a very bad place with God. And that will end up landing you in a very bad place for eternity. The Bible shows us clearly the proven truth of God. 
It shows us what our greatest need is. It shows us the way to get to heaven, how we can be freed and forgiven of all of our sin. It's not to be dismissed. We've shown this morning that the Bible bleeds truth. And that truth is for you. That truth is for me. Whether you're a believer or not, there is truth in the scriptures for all of us. Every single one of us. What do you want to do with the evidence? Do you, like the guy with the microscope, get rid of the instrument that tells you the truth? I believe that people want to destroy the Bible, not so much because they don't like the Bible, but they don't like what it reveals about them. It tells us that men and women are sinners by choice, sinners by nature, and we need a Savior. It's the only solution. The only way to have our sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. That's the truth. And if you don't want to see that under the microscope, you can destroy the microscope, but the truth is still there. The Bible will stand. If you poke it, it will bleed truth. And if God can be trusted for the details of the future, he can be trusted for your life right now, today. That's the whole point. Father, thank you this morning for the truth of your scriptures. Thank you, Father, that The Bible proves itself, that history has proven your, your word to be true. The prophecy has proven your word to be true. The testimonies of those who have come to you have proven your word to be true. Father, we thank you for your word of truth. I pray for anybody who's here this morning who may just dismiss the scriptures, that today that they would have a change in their heart, a change in their mind, that they would repent of their sin, that they would turn to the God of heaven, the author of the book, and come to know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name, amen. I'd like if we could stand to sing one, a song that I'm hoping some of you know it. I grew up singing it as a kid in Sunday school. It's called The Bible Stands. And uh, Clyde and I know it, and Clyde and I are gonna just belt it out. And, uh, but please turn my microphone off. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll the, the words of this song are great. I don't like the tune, but I like the words. <laughs> a Bible stands like a rock Undaunted mid the raging storms of time Its pages burn with the truth eternal and they glow with the light sublime.